0: Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I'm here today with the king of extracted products. His name is Abby. How you doing, Abby?
1: Doing very well, buddy. Very well. The king of extracted products. I like it. I like it. It's like the king of sting, you know.
0: <laughs> what uh how are you feeling today? What's going on? Um we're going to be we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to our hearts today, uh, which is really about extraction and what's going on in the extraction uh, world, and really about Medifarm Labs, which has had a really rough quarter, um, and I'm sure a lot of people are wondering like, what is going on with this company.
1: You know what? I'm going to take it one step further and say it's been having a rough almost two quarters. It's <laughs> like, a stock yeah, price. Sure. The stock price has just been decimated since... Uh, since q q4 2019 and then q1 2020 and it's and it's a shame um so i think this is a really i think this is going to be a very insightful episode uh and i think it'll be um uh compelling for a lot of people who like the story and for people who are just kind of looking at um uh, just an update on the company you know um we've kind of been on the wrong side of the trade i would say at least from my perspective i'm not sure about your perspective uh, manish but you know i i've, I've been a buyer and I've been a holder of labs for, for some time. And I still have some in my account and it's just awful to see because it's down. I think like it's just down too much. It's it's not even worth looking at right now.
0: Yeah, sure. And and I mean, look, my perspective is a little bit different because labs is a company that I got into, back in late 17, uh, you know, back when it was a private company, but but we'll get into that. I think it's really important for people to understand uh, our perspective on the story, the positive and the negative, and try to give people a realistic outlook on on what we think is going on. And, um, you know, is this, is it sort of it for the company or is there a light at the end of the tunnel, which I think there is, but it's important to understand, you know, the challenges ahead of them, right? So for sure. Uh, maybe to, to kick it off, Abby, you could just give us a, a brief overview kind of, um, you know, of, of some of your thoughts on, on what's going on with Medifarm.
1: For sure. For sure. Let, let's just, I'll, I'll just, I'll just outline um, sort of
0: how how we want to kind of frame the episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sorry, maybe I just thought about this, but maybe let's take a step back and also give some context for people who might not be as familiar with the story.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we'll start off with just a quick general overview of the company. Um, talk about the most recent financing, which I think was, was uh, quite, quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. as well as their most recent uh, financial results that came out a couple uh, last week, sorry. Um, also, just sort of look at what, uh, what, I, what, what what I don't like and what the street doesn't seem to like and what you don't like as well. Um, and then as well, let's talk about what we do like about the company. Uh, and then from there, kind of just sort of some risks uh, and some outlooks for what we think the company is going to be enduring going forward.
0: Yeah. And while we talk about Medifarm, I mean, we have to talk about valence, we have to talk about extraction in general, um, and we have to talk about the Canadian market because they're all interlinked. So we'll be touching Mm -hmm. on all those topics uh, as we go through it.
1: For sure. For sure. So do you want to give the quick
0: overview on Labs? Sure. And and look, I'll start by saying, I mean, um, I have a little bit of a different perspective on this company because when I got introduced to them in 2017, uh, it was really like you know early stages of a startup, right? So um, you know, my cost base of investing in them is is much, much lower than most people. Uh but also, you know, they've they've really done right by me, right? Because when I first uh found the company and met them, you know, there was a lot of question marks, right? And they they proved a lot of things on an uh executional scale. So Medifirm Labs is a extraction platform. Um, you know, the The big thing uh, was they were going to specialize, instead of growing cannabis, they were just going to extract it, right? So they were, uh, in their their case, they do CO2 extraction, um, uh, and they only do CO2 extraction, so they don't have a bunch of other types of extraction. Uh, And their focus and their goal seems to have always been to be a pharma quality type of, of operation. Right. So to to really kind of be the highest quality and really look and smell and feel uh, like a pharma quality type company. Okay, so in the beginning, you know, there was a lot of questions around, does this business model make sense? Is it going to make sense to extract uh, and not grow cannabis? Right. Um, And, you know, I I think they more than proved that the business model made sense. And all of last year uh, was really a, a story of them showing to the world that look extraction does make sense you don't need to go grow cannabis to make money and in fact this can be a very profitable operation uh, and then their biggest competitor is valence uh, and valence has you know in the last two quarters put up some phenomenal results as well right so I think both of these companies have shown that uh, extraction is a very important part of the process and it can be a very profitable part of the process
1: right and then when you get into extraction itself, you mentioned something really important there. Uh, Labs is doing CO2, supercritical CO2 extraction. Uh, that's mm-hmm. essentially the gold standard of extraction. It's the highest quality that you can get. Uh, but the downfall of that is it's not easily, um, it, it's harder to produce at scale, right? Because you got to, if you look at CO2 canisters, they're really big, big canisters versus another type of extraction, which is ethanol. Um, it's liquid it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a lower quality, but, you know, when you start doing it in scale, um, the margins are a lot more compelling. And so Labs always stuck true to their side of quality first, uh, and, and they still continue to do so today, which is, uh, which is quite refreshing. And one of the most interesting things that you also touched on there that I found really attractive about Labs was they were the first company that I knew of in the street that came around saying, we're not going to be vertically integrated, we're going to specialize. Right,
0: right, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that was that was part of the reason why when I did my private placement in seventeen, you know, I got in at thirty cents a share because a lot of people were like, like, you want to do what? You want to like, what do you mean extract? Like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone was investing in the growers, right? So it was really a nascent category. Uh, And the interesting thing too is like, you know, most of my focus is in the U.S. Extraction is really not much of a category in the US. Like you don't hear about it that much. There's there's very few uh extraction only companies out there. It's it's not that big of a, a business as it is in Canada.
1: Yeah. I mean for that though, it's very state specific because in some states you can't really just be a standalone. Um yeah, good no, point. you have good to point. be vertically integrated. So that's that's largely driven based off of legislation. Um
0: yeah for for sure. That's a good point
1: right and so and so go, kind of going forward what i wanted to uh sort of touch on is are the worst days behind labs right like if you look at if you look at nothing but just the stock chart it's just not it's a very it's an ugly chart to say the least
0: right yeah for sure it's it's, it's brutal
1: and there and there's been a lot that's been sort of happening but i just want to touch on the most recent stuff right now so um let, let's just kick it off let's start with the uh the
0: june 8th um convertible note that they off that they issued so, so sorry, just before you do that, let, let me just finish the summary of saying, you know, 2019, I think Labs was really a standout player in terms of their financial results. Um, so, yep. you know, the company did a lot of things right. But um, the reason why I was so bullish on it last year and continued to be, despite having made already a ton of money on my initial investment, was that. The financial results, which I believe are paramount, were really speaking for themselves. So the company, quarter after quarter, was putting up increasing revenue, um, had uh, uh, actually quite good EBITDA margins. So the adjusted EBITDA was somewhere around uh, you know twenty to twenty five percent, and that was way better than than all of its peers, way better than all of the growers we were seeing. And you know the thesis was all of the best stuff for labs is still ahead, right? 2.0 hadn't started yet, right? Uh, We hadn't had the rollout of vapes and edibles and whatever. So the theory was, look, they are absolutely killing it in 2019. And once 2.0 turns on and and starts going, they're gonna have even more stuff to do. They're they're gonna be able able to generate even better margins. So that was really the exciting part about it. However, there was also the flip side of the coin, which was that once people saw how valuable extraction was, they They wanted to do it themselves, so they would go out and buy the equipment, and everybody suddenly had plans to also become an extractor so that was always kind of a cloud on the horizon that represented a risk and then Abby, to your point, the last two quarters uh the results have gotten progressively worse, and I would say this quarter was really, really bad right and and then that leads into I think what you're going to talk about with the with the recent financing they did
1: right and you know. One thing that you and I have always talked about on this podcast is uh, uh, liquidity and strength of balance sheets, right? And so, um, you know, after this finance, so, you know, let's talk about the financing here. So, um, Labs came to the street. They were looking to raise about 40 million bucks in convertible debt with a conversion price of $2.28 a share, right? And so, when that first got announced and when it got Um, when it first got announced, it had sort of mixed views. Um, So the positives was, A, they were going to get a cash inflow, right? An insane, like about like 35 million bucks was going to come into the company. And that would overall just strengthen their balance sheet and just sort of provide um, operational flexibility, if you may, right? And
0: And, and, sorry, just to point out, it's all from one institutional investor.
1: Right, right. Which was huge, which was huge at the time, yeah. And so with this- It's uh, It's a good time. Yeah, exactly. And then, so I mean, like, look. So that's obviously a big positive. They had no near term uh, capex projects on the horizon that they were talking about, or any large capex. So you know, it looked like this was going to be quite like there's ample liquidity available to them to execute on uh, both near term and long term growth opportunities. So so from that perspective, it was a quite rosy uh, transaction. But you know, the when you looked into it, right. There was a little bit of a negative. There's sort of like a, um, an aura of negativity surrounding it on the around the terms of the debt, right? It was quite uh, onerous, especially for current shareholders. There was significant dilution that was on the horizon. So, mm-hmm. basically, what it was, it was it consisted of two three year unsecured convertible notes. Now, they both had principal amounts of twenty point five million bucks, and again, both of them had the same conversion price at two point uh, two dollars twenty eight And then they had bi-monthly amortization payments of about $320,000. Now, this is where it gets tricky because they were payable in either cash or shares. And the shares were going to be issued at, there was two options for the shares to be issued. So the first option was 90% of the five-day volume-weighted average price uh, if the share was above a dollar. If the share was below a dollar, it would be eighty-seven uh, percent, right? So you could already see that uh, if you know Labs had the uh, sorry Labs has the option to go down this route, there's already going to be significant dilution. This is a bi-monthly, or sorry, this is a uh, yeah bi-monthly amortization payments um, that's going to be done. It's 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 just not something that you want to see, right? And so the street was kind of like okay, like you know there's some dilution risk over here, and you know the uh, the stock did take a little bit of a dive after that.
0: Yeah, and and uh, Abby, I think actually uh, my reading of it, and I could be wrong, but my reading of it was that there was no option to pay it in cash. It was it was to be paid in shares, uh, which which you know that's dilution one. But the set the problem is, like you mentioned, the discount. Right? There's that that ten percent discount to the price. Mm-hmm. So it automatically you go okay. Well, so you're you're issuing shares. Every two weeks, right, which is dilution, right. and then on top of that, you're issuing them at a discount. So, whoever is, um, you know, whoever the institutional investor is, they could turn around and sell those, uh, those, those bi-monthly payments they're getting, and and just take a 10% clip every yep. time, right? But that's that's going to put some pressure on the share price, and then obviously it creates dilution. So, I think people who were reading it closely, uh, that was a warning sign mm-hmm. of, of what was to come. And then on top of that, you have a couple of, um, of, you know, things that I, I, <laughs> I'm a little hesitant to say red flags, but the, the truth is if it wasn't, if it was any other company, I would, I would say red flags. So I have to keep mm-hmm. it real. Uh, one was that, you know, they, they lost someone in the C-suite, uh, this the chief strategy officer. Uh, that was a little, a little while ago, but the second one, and, and the one that I think w- was really a big warning sign was that they were filing their financials late. Um, yeah. Now because of COVID you were allowed to delay your financials. So they didn't do anything wrong, but typically they've been pretty good about, um, you know, pre-announcing their financials ahead of time uh, and then having kind of a a date where they, where they drop it. So, right. And the fact that they were delaying it, uh, you know, it, it it definitely sent the wrong signal and and I definitely started getting nervous.
1: Right. And, and I want to add to that. So um, when they did send that signal to the, to the market, to the street there, um, you have to remember there was also that Hexo, uh, what do you call it? Uh, accounts payable, um, the the ten million million. Yeah, yeah, the Hexo lawsuit that was sort of looming. So people thought that w- there was going to be working capital uh, liquidity concerns in on the uh, in, in the sector. And um, you know, when one of the count when, when one of the companies involved in that suit sort of delays their financials, it's like oh, like you know, people are around and the the rumor mills start going, and um, people people sure. start to get worried.
0: Sure, that's a good point I hadn't thought of, right? Yeah, that's a that's a uh, that's a good point. So look, the financing was, you know, when you see that, you kind of go, ooh, this doesn't look so good. Because previous to this, I mean, Medifarm has been really, really good about their financing and not diluting, right? They've Mm -hmm. they've basically never, you know, they raised capital once since going public, and that was the uh, the big bot deal they did with Scotiabank. That was right. they raised I think seventy million bucks at five fifty a share, um, and then other than that they took on you know basically, uh, you know, tier A bank debt right, which which everyone is happy to get in this space right. right. So this was the first really um, dilutive financing where you kind of went ooh that doesn't look so good right. Um, now the flip side is they were able to get you know a, a pretty big. Uh, investment from a single institutional investor that that you know that does show you something on the positive side, but it definitely you know I think that combined with the delay of filings that it showed you that something was up.
1: Right, and and they also and I, I didn't sorry I didn't I didn't, I didn't I didn't get to this point as well. They also did grant that investor some warrants too, right, in that financing. Yeah, I saw
0: that. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, I and mean, do you know, what price, of yeah, do you know what price the warrants? Yeah, two twenty. Know what price the warrants? Right,
1: two twenty. So same share.
0: price, same price as a conversion. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Which, which is also a little strange. Usually you don't have your conversion and your warrant at the same price.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it was, it was a, dis, it was, it was a weird time, right. In the market. It's like, it still is. It was like, I keep forgetting that this was only three weeks ago. It feels like it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Long,
0: long time ago. Yes,
1: And then, so then now let's forward back to two weeks ago um, mm-hmm. where um, they put out their, uh, their Q1. 2020 uh, earnings and it I think was, that was I
0: think that was last week actually.
1: Yeah, June 18th, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was abysmal. That was just like it was it was just terrible. Um they missed by quite a bit, right? So they mm-hmm. were uh, and so this this kind of this kind of led to two issues for me. Um so here I'll, I'll tell you what it was. First, they did they their revenues were about 11 million bucks and their adjusted EBITDA was about uh, a loss of 6 million. So minus 6. Uh and the street consensus um, and it's very important to hear these numbers, too. So the street thought they were going to do $22 million in revenue and a and million dollars positive in EBITDA. Now, why that's important is because it tells us that they're not doing a great job communicating with everybody, with all the bankers, um, what they're doing, right? If the bankers were able to adjust their uh, expectations prior to the numbers coming out, um, mm-hmm. usually management will come in and warn people like, hey, this is going to happen. It it sends a better, like, the, the stock doesn't get shocked as much.
0: Right. Because it's a lot of expectations is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. And so like, exactly. It's just, you just, but I, will, sorry. I, I will point out though, like even those analyst expectations of $20 million revenue and basically, you know, flat EBITDA, like zero, um, that would still be like a huge disappointment for labs, right? Like remember, this is a company that two quarters ago was doing like 30, $40 million a quarter in revenue. Yeah. Right. Um, and it was, was for all of 2019, basically spitting out positive EBITDA and, and not just like a little bit, like a, a really healthy EBITDA was was pumping out, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, I actually do think they were probably communicating that, look, things are going to be soft, but maybe they didn't communicate quite how soft it was going to be. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and look, the flip side is if you're too negative, if, if you tell, you know, if, if you're too negative on what, what's going to happen, maybe you're not able to raise $40 million. Right. right. Maybe true. you maybe you shoot yourself in the foot in that case. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of it from that perspective.
1: Um, but if you look. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're right. And if you looked at this, you would have you, you like another reason that I guess the, the stock would come back, uh, not only because of the expectations. Excuse me. If you had looked at this, you would see reduced revenues. You would have seen reduced gross margins um, and as well as increased expenses. Right. Compared to the other uh, financials that you were just uh, alluding to there where, you know, you had healthy, you had really large um, gross profit margins, you had uh, expenses that were in line, and you had increasing revenue. This was just the exact flip of everything that, that they've sort of expected. Um, and also the decline was, you know, much larger than expected, uh, as well, mm-hmm. because of I mean they alluded they 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 said it was because of bulk extract sales, which obviously it was when you look look into it. Um it just wasn't as long, lar- like people weren't expecting the decline to be that large, right? Even on the bulk extract sales. So you're seeing Yeah, in a word margin. in a
0: word it was shocking. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it just it it shocked the market, it shocked a lot of people. Uh, okay, so let's talk about let me give you my sort of impression of what's going on. So, first of all, full disclosure. Uh, if you guys remember, I moved mostly to cash, basically all to cash in April. So I sold basically uh, what I had left of labs. I had a pretty huge position, actually. Uh, I had sold maybe half my position throughout last year as it kept going up. And I bought some back and then, you know, kind of played that game. And then at this time around, I just I sold basically everything because, um, you know, with with COVID and me trying to time the market, I sold my entire portfolio. OK, but I, I still held a little bit of labs just to kind of keep track of it. Um, so if you look at the quarter before they had a soft quarter and they talked about two things that really hurt them. And one was that, um, the pricing on, on bulk product fell. So the wholesale price of extract fell. Uh, and then also they were just able to sell less of it than they thought. Okay. So they were, they were stuck holding a lot more inventory than they thought. Okay. So why is this? Why, why are they having such a tough time? I think there's a couple of things going on. The first of it is that it's not so much about extraction capacity, right? If you remember back in the day, people used to raise money for grow ops based on, you know, Abby, our favorite metric funded capacity, Yeah. right? People would go out and say, look, I have this much square feet of greenhouse. I can grow 200,000 kilos of weed. So therefore my company should be worth $5 billion, whatever it was, right? in reality, what happens is the market is not big enough to support 200,000 kilos. So you're lucky if you could sell 10,000 kilos, right? Right. Uh, So that's, that essentially is what happens also in extraction. Uh, When you see people have these press releases, and they say, look, we've got enough extraction capacity to do 100,000, you know, kilos of biomass, and you make, you know, whatever you make 50 cents, you know, a a gram. So therefore we can do, you know, some gigantic number, right? Um, It's not about capacity. That's not what you should focus on with extraction. It's about customers, contracts and sell through. That is the key to success in extraction Mm -hmm. because ultimately you're working on behalf of your customers and your customers are only as good as how much product they can sell. That's true. And what happened with labs, what is happening with labs, pretty simply, I think, is two things. Um, Last year, when they were having a blowout year, there was very little extraction capacity online. So uh, if you wanted to have oils, if you wanted to have a tincture, a capsule, or you wanted to just stockpile product for 2.0, they were one of the only games in town. So you basically had to go to them to buy product. So what that means is they were able to charge a premium. And also people had a lot of money. Remember, 2019 companies were flush with cash. They had cash just oozing out of their pockets, right? So everyone was was kind of scrambling to lock down supply of extract, right? If you remember, this same story happened in flour. Okay. So village farms. Um, when they grew their flour, they sold all of it for four dollars a gram in bulk to other LPs, um, and those LPs had a lot of cash, so they could do it. But they weren't able to grow, so they they bought the product, they slapped their label on it, and they sold it to uh, you know the the retailers. Right. Eventually, what happened to Village Farms is that one, their customers ran out of money, so they weren't able to buy anymore, mm-hmm. and two. Uh, the wholesale price of flour, of flour fell, okay? And in Q4, actually, it kind of bottomed out. So they sold no wholesale flour in Q4. This is Village Farms. And then in Q1, it actually kind of came back a little bit. So they actually sold some wholesale flour in Q1, but mostly they shifted to selling their own brand, okay? Medi Farm and extraction in general, I think the bulk extract market right now is a bit saturated. You've got more extraction online you've got more people extracting than ever and also the big big thing is the 2.0 rollout of the market has been very slow very very slow uh, so ontario for example in the first 2 months of 2.0 probably only sold something like you know 20 ish million dollars of edibles and vapes in the first 2 months right Um, that's not a lot of product to sell, uh, especially when you keep in mind labs was selling like 30, $40 million of extract a quarter, right? So essentially what happened is there, the customers who were buying off of them, a lot of them ran out of money, right? So you guys like James Wagner, guys like Supreme, um, guys started extracting in-house and then also they were sitting on a lot of product. And they probably still are sitting on a decent amount of product. So the demand for the bulk extract really fell quite quickly. And that's why what I think you're seeing being played out in the last two quarters of Medifarm. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And that's what they- So they, why- they, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So so then why, so you might look at Valence then, right? And Valence and, and labs, Medifarm labs are kind of mirror images where Medifarm's been struggling the last two quarters Valence has had amazing quarters. And it's funny because these are the first two good quarters that Valence has had. So when Valence was offline, people were buying from MediFarma or MediFarma, and they were kind of the only game in town. Now with Valence and other people, there's more competitors, but also Valence's customers have been waiting for Valence to come online, right? So the first two quarters with Valence were really, really good. Now we will see. For the next two quarters, how Valence's numbers will turn out. And by the way, you know, since about November, I've been, you know, I've been owning a lot of Valence, and I've been talking about Valence a lot. So I think they're actually an exceptional company as well. Um, but we're going to see now if this is a medifarm problem or if this is an extraction problem overall. That that's what we have to kind of wait and see over this year.
1: Right. But Valens and Metapharm, they have a little bit of a different story, a little bit of a different niche in the extraction market as well.
0: For so, sure. For sure. No question. Yeah, exactly. Um, you want to explain a little bit of the differences just so people understand?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, well, like Metapharm is more focused towards uh, the pharmaceutical stuff um, or big pharma or um, and... They're doing CO2 supercritical CO2 extraction, and they focus more on the wholesale uh, market. Uh, Valence took a little bit of a different approach. They have a private label brand. Um, they do various different types of extraction. They don't just do um, CO2. Um, and then I would say those are the two biggest difference. And then yeah, just because the the
0: the yeah yeah, I would say to your point about white label, like what labs has kind of resisted. Um... But Labs has kind of a core strategy and has tried to stick to it very closely, right? Yeah. So, you know, they do white label in terms of vapes, right? They do uh, white label in terms of gel caps or oils. Um, but they kind of drew a hard line in the sand and said, we're not going to manufacture edibles. We're not going to manufacture beverages. You know, we will uh, make the bulk extract and give it to you, and then you can make your own edibles, right? Right. Where Valence has really, uh, I think, been more customer friendly, and has been, uh, their goal has been to provide a one-stop solution. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they have their own beverage line, right? So the um, the A1 cannabis beverages, those those are the base camp and the summit. Valence actually makes those. They have their own bottling line, right? Um, They're going to start making their own edibles, right? So. The way they're diverging is Valence is, I think, very comfortable going into the rec space, the adult use space. Yeah, I think Lab is really fixated on the idea of being a pharmaceutical grade company, and, and so they don't want to be making edibles. I, I, that's that's kind of what I think is is going on.
1: Yeah, and you're and you're right, and that's actually one of the reasons that. Uh, so this actually kind of segues into the uh, the the. The other agenda topic here, but like what I like about Labs um, as well. And listen, I like I like Valens as well. I think it's it's a great company. Um, but I think Labs has done a great job of differentiating itself as the um, clear choice for when big pharma enters the space. Right? I think I think you know they're going to be the ones who are well positioned um, to be taken seriously as a pharmaceutical grade company, because they're not going to have <laughs> their own private label. you know, no one's going to be drinking like MetaFarm beverages, right. Versus Valens where they will be. I mean, is that going to ultimately, uh, impact the decision that, uh, the big pharma companies make? I, I, I don't know, but, um, if you were to, if, if the, the oversimplification of the two different business models, I always say labs is more pharmaceutical based Valens is more recreational based.
0: And by the way, that was what actually when I sat down with Valance, uh back in October, when I when I first got introduced to them, that's what they said to me. They said, you know, because I said to them, look, I'm a Medifarm guy. Uh, I've never owned a share of Valence at that time. Um, you know, tell me why I should own you. And they said, well, look. We know we have nothing against labs. We think they're a great company, but we think they're going to start to shift more to a pharmaceutical focus and we're going to shift more to a, uh, you know, adult use rec focus. Yeah. And at the time I was, was kind of like, eh, I don't know, I'm not buying that. Right. Um, because it, you know, my, my takeaway was, well, you know, pharma is a, is really in the nascent stages of, of the industry, you right. know, in terms of cannabis. Right. Um, but I, I, think they, it looks to me like they were right. I, I think labs is really fixated on being that pharma company. Um, and to that point they made their, you know, they recently launched their own brand, um, which is very medically focused. So they're doing, yep. you know, CBD oil. They have the CBD, you know, 25 oil and the CBD 50 oil. Uh, I'm going to guess that they're going to come out with gel caps next. Also very medically focused. Um, and I think the president said on a, one of these presentations, you know, I don't think we're going to do it. I don't think we'll ever do a farm vape pen. Right mm-hmm. uh, now, they do vape pens. They do white label vape pens uh, for their customers, but I don't think they want their brand associated with vaping because, to your point, it kind of tarnishes that pharmaceutical aura that they're building around them.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And like, look, they've they've, or they've I think they've been pretty vocal about their aspirations of signing larger uh, pharma companies and CPGs when they do uh, enter, enter the um, the the space. Right.
0: Yeah, but from a CPG perspective, and actually, no, you're you're probably right. I think when really big brands enter the space, like you know the the um, you know the the guys who are used to manufacturing things to a certain standard, I do think that labs will be a preferred partner of theirs, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's where Medifarm will have the edge. Um, but the thing is, we don't really know when that's going to be, right? And that's one of the challenges with with Medifarm is that if you're not willing to pivot and you want to stick to the pharma angle, um, you know, there's going to be some challenges there, right? Now, sure. There's also sure. a little bit of, there's also a little bit of this, you know, potential for them to get into other kind of pharma things. Like, you know, the, the CEO, Pat McCutcheon uh, is, is now on the board of um, uh, Champignon Brands, which is the, you know, the, the uh, mushroom company or the psychedelic company, right? right. Um, ultimately, if that ends up going somewhere, if, if, you know, you do end up having some level of legalization or whatever, you're going to need somebody to extract the product, right? Yeah. And I think that's what they would be positioned for. But again, it's really hard to project what that means or if it means anything in the next six months or one year or two years. So that's, that's one of the challenges I think they'll have ahead of them.
1: For sure. And you know what? They have the cash position right now on their balance sheet um, to sort of see see themselves out, I would say, at least a couple of years, Right. They're sitting at roughly, I would say. I think mean, the last quarter said twenty one million cash. Um, add 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 in the thirty five mil they got in from that uh, that last financing we talked about. That's roughly about fifty, like a little fifty six million, approximately that they're sitting on. That's a big chunk of change.
0: Yeah, All absolutely. Right? Yeah, I, I think this financing means that they're well capitalized for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and they can um, and they
1: can with like you know they can hold their position for when when that when that when that does happen.
0: Yeah, and and I think also look. I mean, when I think about labs, uh, I think it's in a transition period, and I think like my way of looking at it is if the price keeps falling, and especially gets under a dollar, I'm going to start buying it again. Yeah. Um, and even though I'm mostly focused on the U.S., um, I think what see what happens is when a stock starts falling, and you start having negative news about a company, um, people start bailing out, and yeah. you know people just they there's headline risk. They see bad news. I'm out, right? And imagine, I mean, if you bought this company, you know, in the bought deal through Scotia Bank at five fifty-five a share, you must be pissed, right? I mean, yeah. you've lost like eighty percent of your investment. This was supposed to be the golden boy, um, you know. So, so it's not inconceivable that you would start dumping your shares, right? So, somewhere in there is an opportunity. I think. Um, I don't know what the right number is, but ultimately. The point, you know, the kind of the long winded point I was getting to earlier was the 2.0 rollout has been very, very slow. And, uh, Abby, funny enough, I was listening to some of our old episodes today, and, um, you know, we did this episode on first impressions of 2.0. And I talked about how when I went to the store, um, you know, I was surprised by the fact that most people were just buying flour. Like, it didn't, people, you know, I thought there would be a lineup for the 2.0 products, uh, in January when they hit, and there really wasn't. Um, and so the, so people were buying them. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that it's not like they were flying off the shelves and, and it was like, you know, it was printing money, right? It was actually a very small number of sales on a dollar value, right? So it's going to take time for that to fix itself. It's going to take time for that market to expand. Um, but the good news is there is a light at the end of the tunnel that is happening. We are adding 20 stores a month here in Ontario alone, BC is ramping up stores. I think by this time next year, you're going to see way better performance for all of the extractors and all of the companies, because there's going to be way more stores to sell into. Um, and it's just not there right now. And labs is paying for it. Uh, that's what you're seeing in the financials
1: for sure. And you know what? I think one thing, um, that we didn't really touch on about labs is I think they see all these headwind uh, headwinds in Canada right now and they do have an international footprint, right? If you look, if you look back in like the past seven months labs received right. an Australian GMP certification for two facilities, yep. their Barry facility, mm-hmm. and then they have one in Australia. Right. Um, yep. And yeah, so it's like they, they are looking beyond Canada as well. Um, and they've expanded some of their, uh, their, their international contracts as well. Um I mean, on the long term, I do expect these cap- like these these contracts and opportunities to sort of translate into financial growth. But uh, you know, I think in the near term, it's going to take a lot of quarters to just sort of recover from all the headwinds that they're facing right now. So I think that again, that's more of a long, long, long
0: term uh, um, approach. Yeah, agreed. Track, I guess right. Agreed. Um, agreed. And- international markets and we're gonna do another episode on this because somebody asked but international markets are really tough guys like you cannot export cannabis product across international borders unless it's medicinal okay so uh, you know that just limits the amount you can ship um, and most markets are pretty small like there's not a ton of volume happening in other international markets right now uh, you know most of the volume, is happening in the most of the global legal cannabis sales are happening in the US right and you cannot like labs cannot ship to the US it just is what mm-hmm. it is yeah Valence they can't, can't do any nobody in Canada it.
1: they can't do any yeah business nobody business in Canada
0: it. exactly exactly and nobody in Canada can can ship there um and again labs has kind of boxed itself in cuz all they're doing is supercritical co2 um but you can't really do you know, scale CBD hemp extraction with that. You can't do, you know, concentrate. Concentrates meaning like you can't do like dabs and stuff like that. You need hy- hydrocarbon to do that, right? So they've they've kind of boxed themselves into just one method of uh, operating. When that works, when that is working well, it works really well because you're having this this level of efficiency, right? Um, when it doesn't work, you know, you're now you're stuck, right? Um, the other thing too is. They've got a a unique business model compared to Valence because Valence essentially is like a toll processor and now white label manufacturer, right? Uh, Labs is a wholesale seller and a product manufacturer, right? Mm -hmm. So the wholesale market is a lot more volatile. Um, And that's what I was alluding to with Village Farm. So um, one thing I will say is you might be surprised by how quickly they turn it around if the 2.0 2.0 market really gets rolling because that's what I was surprised with, with village farms when their, their Q4 was just terrible, so bad. And their Q1 was way better. Right. right. And so the, the the change was really night and day. Um, now, most of the change was because of their own branded product. Um, and I don't think labs will like, you know, they have a branded product, but it's pretty small compared to, I think with the rest of what they'll do. Um, but all I'm saying is, you know, they could turn this thing around, quickly if their clients get back on track, right? For sure. And if they sign, sign some new good deals. And by the way, they have launched the Ace Valley vape pens this quarter. Um, so I don't think that'll be like a massive number, uh, but Ace Valley has proven to be a pretty good brand in the cannabis space. So more things like that would really help it get back on track.
1: For sure. For sure. And you know what? One of the questions that um, I was trying to answer here is, do you think like, is this a bottom? for for labs and you know what i i think we are pretty close to the bottom for labs um i don't think q2 2020 is going to be much like it's not going to be an insanely significant uh increase uh but i think the latter like the latter half of 2020 we could start seeing um the story sort of play out right like everything we talked we talked on um, you know, the launch of their own branded medical products, the ramp up in potential mm-hmm. international sales. We've got the, the white label uh, manufacturing that they do. And then if the market picks up again, you know, we could see this thing does have the opportunity to sort of um, grow. Now, it's not to say that there aren't risks associated with this, right? Like there are some risks still on the outlook. And I'm and I'm very wary of these risks, Um when I when I look at labs because look the dilution from the recent convertible financing that's that that's a risk to me still um, I mean yeah look they got they got a lot of cash but you know we talked about the terms already it's gonna be dilutive mm-hmm. and another thing that I f- kind of f- a little bit worried about on the company is from a customer base they seem to have depth but not breadth and basically what I mean by that is the company uh, they, they basically only have three core customers right and if they were to lose one of those customers um, future revenues would be meaningfully impacted. So I think they need to start looking at signing a little, like they need to start signing smaller guys and have a lot, like a larger number of customers that they can sort of um, to, to rely on. Um, and then add into the fact, you know, we talked, you touched on this, the competitive environment risk that's there, the market demand and size you talked, you touched on um, execution risk. I mean, labs has been pretty, they have a pretty, solid track record of executing on what they're going to say they're going to do. So I kind of put execution risk a little bit lower for this company.
0: Um, and then I, I would say the, I would say the execution risk is pretty minimal. Uh, I think they've, they've proven what they can do, like, you know, that they can execute yeah. really, really well. I would say it's almost more like a strategic risk. Like, you know, they've, they decided strategically not to get into, you know, manufacturing edibles. They decided not to get into other types of extraction. Right. Right. Um, if that ends up like right now, that's hurting them, right? Um, it, what, like you can't re- it's hard to tell if that will end up being something that causes them really long-term pain, right? And, uh, to your point about, uh, the financing, the financing is dil- dilutive. We know that because it's going to be paid in shares. The flip side is, you know, they're not going to run out of cash because they're not paying cash for their, buy bi- their bi-monthly payments. They're not. They're not going to be paying, you know, cash for it. And by the way, I I, I just realized. Uh, does by by the does bi monthly mean twice a month or once every other month?
1: It means uh, twice a month. Semi monthly means. Sorry, it means every it other means every month. Every other bi monthly. Yeah. Means, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Got it. I, I thought it was it would be twice a month, but no. This this is once every other month. So six yeah, times a year. Six times a year. Yeah. Which isn't two point 1.3 bad. million, roughly. Yeah. It's not. It's not too bad. Um, but still, I mean it is dilution, but at least they're not paying since they're not paying out of pocket, you don't have to worry about them going broke. Right? That's that's kind of the flip side of the argument here, right? It's not true. So I, I there's there's positives and negatives. So I guess to your point about risk, I think there's you know the share price could continue to get hammered, especially depending on how long it takes them to turn it around. Um, however, you know, risk, the the risk of permanent capital loss, I don't see these guys going broke. I just, I just think they're too well run. They're too well capitalized. Um, you know, I think they have the ability to, to tamp down their burn. Um, yeah, I, I don't see their their risk of them going broke, um, but I do see definitely volatility and some weakness in the share price, depending on how long it takes them to turn the ship around.
1: Yeah, I agree. And then one of, one of the last risks that I always factor uh, that I always put in. Uh, it's just regulatory risk right we're in such a uh, an industry that's uh, evolving daily and um, <clears throat> regulatory risk is sort of one of the hardest it's the hardest to, to quantify, but it's definitely there for sure
0: yeah that's that's fair and look just kind of projecting into the future a little bit right I mean labs essentially right now um I, like I, I to be honest with you I do think valence has a better model. I think that people like all in one solutions um. And I think that's what Valence gives people, right? It gives them the ability to extract their hemp, gives them the ability to, you know, to, do toll processing, the ability to to manufacture beverages and edibles. I mean, um, they also bought the the uh, not bought uh, they have the rights to the nano emulsion technology called Source, um, and that is like they what they say is that's like the that's going to be the pinnacle of of them making all kinds of beverages and edibles and whatever, uh, because it allows them basically to um, it's a way of basically infusing cannabis into whatever product they have with higher bioavailability. Right. Um, so again, that's something I think is more suited for adult use and rec products as opposed to uh, pharmaceutical type products. Right. Yeah. So the good news is, um, extraction I think will be an interesting place for investors to look at because since day one, people have doubted extraction. And Labs, who was the the leader in the sector, uh, you know, them having this much trouble, I think, you know, people are doubting extraction all over again, right? Um, I think that will create the opportunity and it is creating the opportunity to buy some value here. Because when I look at the value of these, uh, these big LPs or even these small LPs compared to, you know, Valence and Medifarm, they seem quite cheap. Like there's when you think about how this industry is going to evolve and the next generation of capital that's gonna come in, the next generation of players are gonna come in, are they gonna go to a you know, a hexo or a a canopy and say, Hey, you know, grow me some weed and let me put my label on it? Or are they gonna go, Hey, I wanna build, you know, a a product, I wanna build a a beverage, I wanna build a a brand. Sure, but I but specifically the product type, right? I want to I want to build a, you know, a a drink, I want to build an edible, I want, you know, a vape pen. I, I mean, I see that having more legs uh for like a a big CPG brand, you know, infusing cannabis into a product that they already have, you know right. what I mean? As a as opposed to just getting into the weed business
1: for sure. And, and I agree with you. And I think, I think when these big CPGs come in, they're going to, they're going to want consistency. They're going to want quality. They're going to want to know exactly when the onset is and even, even an offset. Right. And I don't think you can have an offset when you have just dry flour. Whereas if you have, you know, an extracted product or a cannabis 2.0 product, the evolution of that product could have an offset to it. Right. So right. I, th- I think there's a lot more, I think you hit it right on the head there. I think there's a lot more uh, upside. Um, on on the extraction, and I still continue mm-hmm. to think it. Look, extraction is being beaten right now on all angles. Um, mm-hmm. I still believe in, in in the space, and I think that um, you know, I think I think just like you said, the new capital that enters, the new products that emerge, they're going to come from extracted products.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think uh, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. These are brutal results from labs, and I always say results are everything. So. What I would like to see before putting some more money is to see them turn the ship around. However, if the thing continues to get hammered and people keep dumping the stock, and I can buy it, you know, let's say a dollar or sub a dollar, yeah, I'm going to go back in, uh, you know, because if the if the value is low enough, I know I can buy it, hold it, and not have to worry about it, um, and it creates the potential for some nice gains if you can get in before they, you know, have their their good financial release, right? Mm-hmm. Um, One other thing to just think about, like in terms of numbers, because that's how I always try to think in terms of just raw numbers. This year in Canada, we will do something like, you know, between two and two and a half billion dollars of sales. Okay. Um, A very small percentage of that will be non-flower. Like I think you're talking maybe 10% uh, of that will be kind of like 2.0 products, maybe 15%. Uh, but a, a, very small number will be 2.0 products. When you get into next year, you will see the, the market share and the, and the amount of 2.0 products dramatically increase. Like every year, I think you're just going to see it go gangbusters. Um, and remember in mature markets, like, like in California or in Illinois, um, and Illinois is not mature yet, but, uh, extracted products make up 50% of sales. Okay. And sometimes they make up more, sometimes they make up a little bit less, but somewhere between 40 and 60% are extracted products. So the sales you're seeing right now are a drop in the bucket to what you're going to see one year from now and two years from now and three years from now. So extraction it had a really good run in 2019 because people were loading up product to sell. Okay. Now they have a lot of product and they have no money. So they, you know, that's why labs is having trouble, but I'm telling you this market for extracted products is massive and it's really untapped right now. Okay. And, what you're going to see is that there's actually not that many extractors out there, guys. Even though, you know, WeedMD is doing their own extraction and Afria is doing their own extraction, um, there's way more cultivators than there are extractors. And at the end of the day, extraction, extracted products should be generating the same revenue as flour. So you're going to have way more growers fighting over half the pie, and you're going to have way fewer extractors fighting over half the pie. So I'm I'm very bullish on extraction. This, I think, is really the dark period. Uh, this is the growing pains period. Um, but I'm very confident to say that, you know, one year from now, two years from now, three years from now, extraction will be doing very well. And I think Medifarm and Valence will be doing very well. Yeah, it's true.
1: And I, and I hope, and I hope you're right, you know, for my own personal selfish reasons, I hope you're right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, well certainly me too. Yeah. But keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on the space. Look at how the the sales grow. Um, I, I'm not saying the pain's over by the way, like, you know, this transition period could be very painful. Um, And a lot of their, like a lot of these legacy customers are going to go broke, right? That was our prediction at the beginning of the year. Uh, that's still going to happen, right? So, um, you know, there's going to be a transition period for these guys. Uh, but if as they keep getting beaten up, I would keep adding a little bit to the portfolio. And if they get really killed, I would just back up the truck and load it up because I, I honestly think that uh, if you can buy Valence or MediFarm at the right price, a year, two years, three years from now, you're going to be laughing because it doesn't make sense to me that these guys are valued at 200 and 300 million. And the growers are valued at you know 500, 700, 800 million. you know Aurora's valued at two billion, two and a half billion. I mean it, it doesn't add up when you when you look at it, right? So um, so I think there's definitely a disconnect there, and I think there's an opportunity to make some money there.
1: for sure. for sure, and I agree. I agree. I wanted to just echo, like I just just wanted to really do an episode on this because um, I feel. You know, I feel like they're undervalued right now. And I know we've, <laughs> I feel like a broken record saying that we even, you know, they're, un- they were undervalued at 450 million. <laughs> they're very undervalued at 200 million.
0: So, yeah. Well, yeah. look, I mean, they were, they were undervalued. And, and listen, I want to keep it real with everybody because, you know, I'm the Medi Labs guy, but you can't fall in love with these names, right? Like, you know, it was a, it was a good story and it had amazing financial results. Um, but results don't only go one way. Right, So you kind of have to keep vigilant and you got to keep paying attention and stories change, right? But um, 2.0 has just started. This is really like we're really at the starting line of 2.0. So, you know, you want to see better results out of these guys. No question. This was a disastrous quarter. Um, But for what it's worth, my perspective is that the team is quite good. It's a very, they're very good at executing. Uh, And by the way, the missing piece here they're still waiting for is the magical EU GMP license, right? So they can start shipping oil uh, to Europe. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be, you know, they're going to print money with that, uh, but that's going to be another market for them to tap into and make some high margins on, right? So Mm -hmm. once they have that, once you have more customers coming to the table, once 2.0 rolls out, I think they're going to be able to turn the story around pretty quickly. For sure. Let's hope. Okay, guys, there you go. So there's an update on what's going on with Medifarm, what's going on with Extraction. Um, we're going to be doing some other cannabis-focused episodes uh, coming up. And as always, we love to hear your comments, thoughts, questions. podcast at gmail.com.